So, do you have any questions? I want to know a bit more about suffering and when you physically feel pain in your stomach, for example, or in your throat, how you cope with that pain, how you've coped with that suffering to get where you are now? <clears throat> well, when you have physical pain, there's sometimes there's not much you can do except maybe use a painkiller. You've got the option for painkillers, um, but the other option in terms of Dharma practice, because I have had you know, chronic pain myself before I had my two hip joints replaced, so arthritis, you know. And so um, now I'm painless, but I used it I, because, I were, because I'm non-practicing the Dharma. I made sure that I was not going to waste this opportunity to see mind and body, you know, to, know, to see how they work. And what I notice, even though I may not be able to change unless I take a painkiller, I may not be able to change the pain in my physical body. What the mind does, it's, you know, the mind is always reactive to pain. So it's your emotions, your feeling, your bodily sensation, your memory about pain and so on, you know. So the mind starts reacting to pain big time, you know, and the message is mostly don't want, out, go, resistance, aversion, negativity, impatience, the lot, with pain. So what you do is that, you know, if you're really interested in the Dhamma, you know that the mind can actually change and come to a place of peace. The body may not change, but the mind does. And then when you practice with the mind in this way, you realize eventually how much the pain has decreased by the fact that you're taking care of the reactivity of the mind to the pain. Suddenly half of the pain is gone. Someday even the whole pain is gone. You know, we may have pain in the body, so body that's sensitive and that's react with pain and so on, or the body deteriorate and so on. So <clears throat> body is more difficult to, um, you know, eradicate pain on a physical level, but on the mental, emotional, you know, uh, level, it, it's quite possible to decrease this amount of uh, activity of the mind. So that's very wonderful. I've, I've actually practiced it myself for many years because you say you don't want to waste your time. You, know? you don't want to waste your time with pain that decripples you or that makes you feel terrible. You know, that, all, that, all that which comes together with a painful body, the aging process, you know, once upon a time you could do anything and at some point you get more very limited in your movements or very you know, swamped with perceptions, your negative perception, you know, I will never be able to do this and that and so on. You know, so all these things is mind, our mind. Do you understand? So you can work with that and occasionally take, maybe take a painkiller to kind of relieve the body as well and the brain because the brain has a way of 
a kind of processing pain. You know, it's like, it's like a habit sometimes. You know, you have to be very careful. Mind and body, as, you know, interact with each other and to intertwine. You know, that it's you know, you just have one miserable, the body starts doing its own thing, or the or vice versa. That's satisfactory. Thank you. Okay. Um, I have a question. When there is this feeling of peace after letting go. Um, in what way? Because the Buddha said, like, even neutral feeling is is dukkha. So, in what way is like feeling at peace? Can you feel a difference between that and a neutral feeling, like not being in it? Like today, we were chanting um, one of the the sutta texts where it's like about emotion, like positive, neutral, and uh, oh, the feeling unpleasant. neutral, yeah, pleasant, unpleasant, yeah. neutral, yes, and that there are also dukkha. And I, I was wondering, um, this peacefulness after letting go, in what way can it maybe also be um, a neutral <laughs> feeling that I maybe don't recognize because it's neutral, because it feels at peace, so mm. I kind of identify with a neutral thing, mm. although it's um, not ceasing. So how can you recognize a neutral feeling? That's my question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, often we talked about neutral feeling as something which is in wants on being known. Do you understand? Mm. It's one. It's in wants. It's lacking, not being known. So, um, you know, there's many things that you don't know about yourself yet. You don't worry too much about it, do you? So, because you read this on a piece of paper, you say, "Oh dear, not neutral feeling. What do I do with that? Where are they?" I won't worry too much, you know. Let them come up in your mind, so eventually at some point you know them. I just wanted to ask, um, you were talking earlier about the dukkha and the connection with the inability that we have got to see things as they really are. What can we cultivate within ourselves? What can we do? to be able to get closer to seeing things as they really are? It's so simple that we don't get it. That's a problem. Uh, something simple like when you're angry, you know you're angry. When you're cold, you know you're cold. When you're tired, you know you're tired. When you're miffed, you know you're miffed. When you're happy, you know you're happy. Things as they are right now. And you don't have to dig into something that's not present, you know, that you can't see. Just what you see is, I mean, I, had, I didn't speak much actually in my talk, but it's, what you see is things that they are, that they are changing, they are unsatisfactory, they are painful, and they are not mine. Not me, not mine. From the Buddhist perspective, that's what you have to look at, you know. But you can see it when you actually notice it, when you see it. You know, so when you see, for example, a pain in your body, it might be pleasant or unpleasant, but you also you know it changes. So when it's pleasant, you will notice maybe the mind wanting to prolong it. When it's unpleasant, the mind goes into vibhavatanha, the cause of suffering is expressed, you know, like not wanting, not wanting to 
you know, to become this painful feeling or wanting to, you know, continue and perpetuate that pleasant feeling. So seeing things as they are is that you can take it from the point of view of anicca, dukkha, anatta, okay? But also what I like about the Buddhist teaching is the simplicity of knowing when you are, uh, you know, upset about something, you just know clearly you're upset. You don't pretend. You know, the, the mind has a capacity to hide itself, you know, to pretend that something else is happening, especially in kind of social gathering or, you know, where you're, you are it's kind of conditioned to look good, to look presentable. Yeah, that makes sense? It does, thank you. Hello. You have the microphone, somebody is with yeah. Yeah. Maybe because uh um is looking after the the video, you can just pass it around amongst yourself, huh? Eh? How do you get a right understanding about right understanding. understanding? About anything? About teaching and the Skillful to dealing with the about the teaching. What was the other thing? And skillful dealing with things. Skillful. Sk what is skillful? Mm. <clears throat> Good question. You know, um, <clears throat> for a long time we don't really know what is skillful or unskillful, even though that we can. We, we tend to go towards things that makes us happy. You notice that. A sense of self-respect, a sense of dig, you know, a dignified feeling about us, you know. We, we, something that makes us feel good. And we don't know yet, maybe. So it's like discovering little by little what brings uh, happiness in ourselves. So right understanding, it's a, it's a kind of large you know, words for what it actually means. Right understanding is part of the uh, Noble Eightfold Path, the first link on the Noble Eightfold Path, right? Right view, which includes right understanding as well. So, for example, uh, right view <coughs> talks about, you know, is included in right view, the vulnerable truth that what is happening is not me and not mine, is fundamentally unsatisfactory, and it's um, tr transient. Now, when you say this to yourself, it's like giving yourself a, a medicine, a little potion of Dharma, right? It's reminding your mind that you don't need to attach to these things. It's like really dealing with attachment, identification, and grasping and clinging. You remind yourself, have enough people here, here seen that clinging and grasping to things is happy and lead to more happiness? Has anybody seen a grasping and clinging that brings an increase of happiness? Anybody? No? So you can see that most of us here in this room are committed to not follow the path of clinging and grasping, aren't we? Yeah? 
that's a basic, like a fundamental kind of, like a foundation. Okay? So, um, you notice that your right understanding is, ouch, it hurts, you know? It's like, oh yeah, what am I, what am I hanging on to right now? Sometimes it's not very clear what we are clinging to. It might be buried under all kinds of false reasons. What am I clinging to? The first noble truth is helpful because it's like really the symptom, the first symptom of grasping. I mean, the first obvious symptom of grasping, because there's a lot of years of grasping that don't, we haven't seen any symptoms of it yet. Do you know what I mean? Don't, we don't know we are clinging to things. Right? We don't know we are clinging to health until we get the dukkha of being unhealthy. And then the misery and the pain and the agonizing feeling that we have when we become sick. We don't know we're grasping to youth until we're becoming older and feel utterly dejected by the process of aging. Yeah? And we don't know we are, um, you know, <laughs> we are mortal <laughs> until we are just about to pass our last breath sometimes. It takes a long time to think that, that I am mortal and I could die tomorrow, I don't know. Which brings the theme of death, which I think is a very, very, you know, vital reflection we should do every day. I am of the nature to die. I don't know when I will, that will come. But when you bring this topic into your mind, you find that a sense of urgency rises up with it. Unless you are completely overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and worry, the other side is that a sense of urgency comes, yes. How, who, how do I know I'm going to last one more night? You know? We don't know. Right? And so that's very important to understand that. For example, the suffering of not knowing that we identified with things, you know. And we just suffer. We don't know. So right understanding is when you suffer now and you know the Buddhist teaching, you say, oh, this is dukkha. Okay. Oh, the Buddha says it's not mine. You don't know yet what it means, maybe. Don't think about it. Just go with the, you know, the experience of it. Just go with the experience directly. Direct, immediate knowledge on the job. Don't get a book in between. Even all your Buddhist uh, you know, baggage that some of you have. You know, when you are born into a Buddhist country sometimes, you have a lot of baggage, of Buddhist baggage. So you have to be a bit careful with that because sometimes they, they become more important than the reality of now. And yet it is in the now that you can see things clearly. Thinking, reflecting, you know, conceptualizing, uh, letting the mind churn around ideas and so on is very good too for clarification. If you're stuck with a lot of views and opinions and ideas about some certain things, it's always good to reflect whether these ideas, these views and opinions are actually correct and in accord with reality. 
Otherwise, you're still living with some, you know, inaccurate information. So in right understanding is knowing anicca, dukkha, anatta, clearly, directly. Right understanding is knowing that we're going to die one day. We don't need to make a big fuss about this day. It could be our last day. You don't know. And it's like giving food to the mind to let go, to, to drop its kind of baggage that comes from believing that tomorrow I'll be alive. Or in a year time sometime, you know. Let's not say tomorrow, maybe a year time. So suddenly when you bring truth and reality to the mind, it, it can actually shed things without you even doing anything. And experience the peace of letting go. Do you know the mind is subtle? We don't see it, we don't know it, we don't know where it begins and ends. We, don't, we think it's in our body, it's not in our body particularly. And the mind is what drives us all the time. One word of kindness makes you feel wonderful and great. Somebody say, oh, you're the most wonderful person in my life. Oh. How many people will hate that? Not many. It depends who says it, I suppose. If we're attached. <laughs> but, you know, the mind is terribly influenceable. So this is why we need to have a right understanding over it. You know, the mind is made up of, you know, feeling, thinking, perception, and then sense doors, and then sense consciousness. So that's, con you know, understanding correctly. When you can see, I find the, the, the description of the mind by the Buddha is incredibly helpful. Why is it helpful? It's because you can realize for yourself what he's talking about. You don't have to look for something really bizarre and strange and airy-fairy and, you know, transcendent, but nobody knows what you're talking about, you know. So right understanding is to know that also that, um, you know, that when you know that your thoughts are really empty, quite extraordinary, you know, to know that you are being so bogged down by life, we thought that when looked into deeply, do not exist. I mean, there are no substance to them. They just pass and come and go and come and go. It's like being on a screen film, you know, the the the, the screen on which you you're shooting a, a a film on it. You make it really quick, you know, and it looks oh wow, look at that, look at that, and Henry's there, and Jenny's there, blah blah blah. You slow it down, it's just shadows, black and white, gray. You're slowing down, so that's what meditation does. It slows down our personal film, life, life saga film. Slow it down, slow it down. Suddenly, oh, what you? I feel so good now. For a week, I've been on retreat, not kind of rewinding my life movie. That's why people love retreat, because for a little while they just slow it down. And then the story disappeared, and then the yesterday, tomorrow disappeared. You're held by the nice monks and nuns of Amarawati, 
teaching and so on, and the wonderful kitchen at Amarawati, and people supporting Amarawati and so on. And suddenly, you don't really have to carry your life story all the time, you know, especially when it is miserable. So you realize that your mind is constructing things out of sometimes fluff, thin air, space, emptiness. What makes you ask this question? Just memories always coming back. Oh, good. So you wanted to know about memories, or is that part of the first question also? Yes. Yes. It's the same together. Yeah. Well, memory is a very important topic, actually. Yeah. Memory disappear. Do you want your memory to disappear at some point? Not seeing the one I can remember, whether it's you know today or tomorrow. You mean memory from the past? Yeah. Where everybody has memory, you know, that are haunting the mind, and we can't let them go. Huh? You know that kind of memory. You know, the path doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, mysterious kind of uh, practice. It's all out in the open there. And memory, sometimes what you can do, just like with anything that is conceptual or visual in terms of images, but we can bring back our thoughts more easily than we can bring back images, you notice that. So with memory, uh, I worked with memory in a way, in a way using Atun's Medu's uh, technique, you could say, teaching. Um, you know, they, they come, and when you're at peace with them, when the memory, you come into a, a mind that is peaceful, they're just thoughts and feeling and mood and images. Yeah? So, but in fact, I talk to everybody, really. Uh, because it's a question I think that is, um, you know, um, important for everyone. Yeah? So memory, you, um, you bring it into your mind. And just like a, a construct, it's a construct like a sankara or, you know, you can just make peace with it and you can observe how it will pass away. Now, when you observe something like this and you let it be, you do this process many times, as long as you want. And the actual energy of mindfulness, awareness, is stopping the fuel for this memory to come back. This memory is fueled by certain things. First of all, by your attachment to it. They come back because you still have karma with them. Do you understand? You still want them or don't want them, either one or the other. You want this memory to come back consciously or unconsciously, or you don't want them to return, and that creates aversion, and that keeps them coming back, whether it's through love of this memory or aversion towards that memory, that what's that is what brings them back. Is that clear? So they will pass. They will pass. But what is passing my in my mind is not so much. You can still remember things, but the pain, the dukkha is gone. Do you understand? 
it's been, you could say, purified, quote-unquote, you know. It has lost its, the, the, the quality of being dukkha. Memory is just a, a story, an image, but it's okay. You, you are, it's not like you have changed the memory into something nice. You just realize you are at peace with it, and it's not a problem. It's just a memory. But very often, the memory is painful. It's, it's um, compounded with painful feeling. It's compounded with hurt, with, uh, you know, the, the unknown hurt, you know, with uh, taking risk or frightened to taking risk, you know, that, all kind of, you know, self-interest. Okay, any other question about this? So things, things as they are, to go back to link the two with what the other question is, maybe you may think, I'm actually with this person because I need this person materially. And then you make peace, do you understand? At some point, you can beat yourself up because you feel it's not noble. You can make the other person awful enough to think that he still needs you or she needs you. She don't go because you have find a good cause in your, uh, you know, relationship with that person. You can't go away because they need you. Or I can go away because I need them. So this kind of a, a game that can carry on in ourselves, and we feel sometimes ashamed of it, or embarrassed, or frightened by this, you know, this kind of statement. But when we make peace with that level, you realize there is a deeper level. As you make peace with this level, you go down a deeper level. And you make peace with that level, then other people, other things rise. Then you make peace with that level, and eventually it's gone. So things don't go maybe straight away in one shot. That's why the Buddha said, Patience and endurance are the highest austerities. He never said if you sit on the bed of Nell for 40 days and stop eating for three months and sleep with the eyes open and all that kind of thing, you'll be enlightened. No, just patience and endurance. It is what it takes to be able to witness a very unsatisfactory mind called me, that I call myself. Do you understand? It takes that amount of patience and loving kindness in oneself to receive your life as it is, rather than as we thought it was, or as how it should be, or as, you know, I would hope it to be. It takes a lot of honesty. It's a lot of integrity. But if you don't lose the goal in mind, then it's much easier. Because then you have more momentum going for it, you know. Once you've seen for experience, through experience, that cause and effect, you know, into things, the process of cause and effect. When I do this, I feel better. And you say, Why? You know, it's like an exploratory uh, map, the meditation practice and the, and the Buddhist path. 
it's so lovely. It really, you, you are totally involved at the center of your life. The Buddha didn't say just like, believe me, it's true, the only way, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not particularly quoting anything. I'm not referring to any particular religion, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it's just like giving you the confidence that you can know for yourself. You're not, de- you're not dependent on a guru or dependent on what somebody say. You're not dependent because it is a tradition. You're not dependent on knowing the truth because it's what the elders of this community have said all the time or because it's philosoph- you know, logically uh, reasonable or philosophically sensible and so on. You know? But through direct experience... And the Buddha is always returning to what is, you know, right understanding is really understanding what is skillful and what is unskillful. Now these are kind of cover vast area of our life before we understand that because skillful and unskillful are dependent on so many things. So you need also the development of wisdom that can see and know a situation in you know, at a deeper level and at a broader level as well. You need to know people, you need to know yourself, you need to know how to, you know, to reflect on the effect of your actions or you reflect on your speech. So it takes a lot more than just a few words can explain, you know. Make sense? I can hear you, yeah. I think it's on. No? Unless your voice is... Good voice. (laughs) Okay. It's just that... this. Thank you for your question, because it's been a question in my head for a long time. And I think I have 2% right view, and I think I spend that 2% right view somehow in regretting... I'm 53, I keep thinking so much life I threw away because I haven't been skillful or I didn't know how to be skillful. Mm-hmm. So just just that, really. That's right. But now you know, so you have no excuse, do you? No. <laughs> to yourself or, or towards others, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, sense of urgency. We have to find what makes it strange because sometimes when you do things for a long time, even in a monastery, you know, you have to kind of motivate yourself. Because even though the goal is quite clear, you know, but life is not, not as clear as <laughs> as many, you know, as what you think sometimes, you know. So you have to keep starting again, starting again, and sometimes remembering why did you start on this path in the first place. You know, asking question, what what I'm here for? Or what what do I do with my life? And then this question is not to get you stressed out and neurotic about finding out that you have no answer to this question, but simply to remember that uh, one aspect of the life is to remember, or the human life, is to remember to you know, the, the aspect of contentment is very important. Contentment in Pali, it's santuti. Sound Italian, doesn't it? Tutti frutti. Yeah. 
Santuti, and it means uh, it comes from Santa, which means peace in in Pali. Yeah. And contentment, it's such a beautiful feeling. And it's, you know, I, I go more and more as I practice, I realize you have a language of the heart and you also have the feeling of the heart. Like the, the ten parameters are the feeling and the words that the heart loves. You know, whether it's, even though we don't know yet, but when we practice you can feel the heart happy when you are generous, ethical, kind, determined, wise, uh, equanimous, you know, the calm of equanimity, the, you know, these ten parameters, these are the qualities that the heart loves. And then the words, um, you know, also, there's the words of the heart, like love, gratitude, forgiveness, all the things that the brain can't stand because the brain is all about discrimination and finding right and wrong and I mean brain, when I mean untrained brain, you know. Maybe it's not, it doesn't have the edge that the thinking brain like. Meta, loving compassion. I don't know that because for me, even though, even though I didn't consider myself what you would call an intellectual, particularly, I didn't but um, I remember when people didn't have the edge of thinking clearly and you know strongly about things, I was not one bit interested. Talk to me about you know contentment, peace, love, metta. It just went. You know, I can understand them. Of course, I love being compassionate and so on. But they didn't have an active sense in terms of force. It didn't didn't come through in the sense of something active. It seemed very passive. Even though now I don't think like that at all. I think it's the most active force actually, whether it's love and compassion or forgiveness and uh, faith. You know, faith, sada. Took faith to the Westerners. You know, they've been up to here, mad, but having faith and not being able to think for themselves. Don't give me that face again, you know. Let let it go. A long time ago, people would say, you know, or might say, they want to think for themselves. But now, faith, it has a very different quality to me. When I go to Thailand, I see people have a huge amount of faith, and the Westerners can really look down sometimes on the fact that people can have terrific confidence in a teacher, in a teaching, without having to think like crazy about it. Do you understand? They just, they just know it works. It's like, they know cause and effect. They don't have to think about it. They know it. In the Buddhist countries, sometimes it's like that. So then the Buddhist, people from the Buddhist country, from Sri Lanka or Thailand, maybe they will be start being critical about having too much faith and not enough wisdom or having too much faith in things that uh, uh, maybe they should move on to, to, to take a step further into their practice. But faith is one of the five faculties, you know, so it's not a small thing. Faculties, there are five faculties that inhabit this mind. It's a faculty faculty of wisdom and faith, and then you have concentration and energy, and in the middle, balancing the, the two on each side, is mindfulness. So this face is very important. 
And yet in our mind, for many people, it doesn't mean much, you know, even though we have faith, but we don't tap into it much, you know. So faith is what leaves the mind sometimes just not knowing, but at peace with it. And sometimes you come to a place of confidence because you've done all the work behind to come to that place of confidence. Like experience brings faith, brings confidence. You know, you know it. Once you know it, nobody is going to take that knowledge away from you because it's with you. You know, once you know that things are impermanent, no matter how many people may, even if the whole world caved on me and told me it's not impermanent, I say, well, good for you, you know. I wouldn't fight. But I know that things are changing all the time. And this is just one example amongst, you know, thousands of stories we could tell each other. But certainly if you want to have confidence in um, yourself, I'm not saying you have to experience everything, that would be too much, but you choose maybe something that is close to you and easy to work with, like to be confident in the fact you can be silent for one day, take it at the right time, not at the weekend when you want to relax with your spouse or your children or your friend, you know. Do it at a time when you, maybe just a few hours, you know, it doesn't have to be a whole day. Maybe your chatterbox, chatterbox, you can't stop talking, people get really annoyed and so on, and you feel, oh God, I can't stop, you know. But then you stop for a few hours and that gives you the confidence, yes, I can. It's like I remember doing practice with sleep, sleeping less, sleeping, sitting up, and so on, you know. After that, yeah. I don't need to worry endlessly about whether I should sleep longer or shorter, da da da, you know, doubts. And at some point I knew I could sleep in different ways and I didn't need so much sleep. That's how I find how much sleep roughly I will need each day without feeling either guilty or overindulgent, you know, or maybe too to demanding on my body the, um, will be damaging my health too much, you know to the point where I can't practice if I only slept maybe two hours a night or something. I mean, teachers sleep very little each night, you know. But it, each one of us have to find for ourselves what works, you know. So, if you have no more questions, we can probably adjourn and uh, I wish you a very nice well, tomorrow is a week start again for some many of you eh? for us too and actually I'm kind of partly on retreat so you get me a time when I'm not engaged with too many things so I'll be here for a few more minutes if you want to you know, talk to me more personally or yeah so Feel free. I'm very happy to um, help you if you have more questions or anything else.